When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it! Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by the American Raptors. I'm Henry Chisholm, and today, today, honestly, I'm just really hyped for spring ball. I am really hyped for spring ball. We are so close. We are one week away. Next next Wednesday, right? No, it's actually next Thursday. It's next Thursday. But but still, I mean, basically a week away. Um, I, I, I still don't know all the details. I would guess that it's like three practices a week um, between the like the 30th when it starts until the spring game on the 23rd probably like three week maybe four week I haven't done that math um I think they're going to be in the evenings this year which is going to be interesting you know I there's a part of me that's really excited for that there's a part of me that thinks I might wind up with a backward sleep schedule afterward because you go to spring ball and then you like so what that's if it's like 4 30 to 6 30 got interviews until like 7 and then afterward, drive back down to Denver. And so then it's like 7.30. And then you do a podcast about it. Then you write about it. And then next thing you know, it's like 10 o'clock and you just got done with your work day. And it's like, well, it's probably bedtime. But why not stay up and play video games or whatever? Because don't have anything to do until the next day at 4.30 again when you have to be in Boulder. So I am a little bit nervous about that part of it. But I mean, it's... It's kind of like the final step here, right? It's weird because in some ways, it's kind of the, the transition in terms of how how I perceive the athletics year because now you're into football. It basically flips between football and basketball being your big thing. And so it's basketball from like, they start in like late October, mid early November typically. And so right around there, you're still handling football. So there's that overlap month or whatever, hopefully two months because there's a bowl game where it's like really busy, really stressful. And then you just kind of slowly ease from football into basketball because typically Buffs football is a little bit disappointing at that point. And then ride through the basketball season until about two weeks ago. And now you're into football. Spring ball, a couple months off, fall ball, then the season. And uh, here we are. At the same time, though, it is also like... I... I haven't had like two weeks off necessarily, but with no basketball going on, 
and no football going on. I mean, it's been the first time that there hasn't been uh, events that I need to be at, like daily things, daily tasks, things to check in on, all that sort of stuff, since before fall ball. And so while it's been kind of fun to have a couple weeks just to relax, and I guess there's still like one week left, there's a lot of it is just thinking about this football team. A lot of it's just thinking about this football team. You know, I haven't I haven't totally sat down and planned out all the stories I want to write. Like I said, I think there's like 25 practices, 20 practices, something like that, which means I get 40 or 50 interviews over the course of spring ball. And sitting down and mapping those out, what order you want to do them. You know, Tommy Brown, the, the Bama transfer, he's got this underwear shoot that he did with shine stee threads. That's a story I need to write. I'm not sure that's the most important story on day one at camp, but that is one that needs to be written because I am interested. And also, I want to get to it first. You know, that's the other thing where it's like, okay, I know that there's there's four of us who are going to be there. It's like everybody's got to do quarterbacks early on. Um, I bet there's a couple other big stories early on. But but then you have to figure out, like, how do I how do I get this one in first? Because it's a fun one that I want. Um, but just mapping out. You know, I want to talk to Jake Wiley about last year. That's, that's one I'm really excited about. Um, because, again, like redshirt freshman, he's out there uh, as, as your starting left tackle in a Power 5 conference. And things didn't go great for him, but I, the, honestly, in terms of writing the story, that makes it even more interesting. Um, but I, I want to hear in detail all that sort of stuff. Casey Roddick, too, another great interview. Had a chance to talk with him for a couple minutes at Blake Street. But he's high on the list. Um, uh, I mean, quarterbacks, of course. Quarterbacks, like, see if I can get an exclusive at some point, a one-on-one at some point, even like a podcast at some point. Um, but just kind of going through, you know, what's what's up with Brady's life? What has he been up to the last few months? Because I haven't heard anything. I, I, I've i heard I've heard from him once since the end of the season. Um, who? I mean, it's it's that sort of stuff. It's exciting stuff. Um, yeah, and it's starting to feel real. It's starting to feel real. Uh, I hope you guys are as fired up as I am. You know, I'm the buzz is that maybe we aren't going to see as much live action in the spring as we had hoped we would see. Um, but we'll, we'll see what the announcement is. I expect that to come in terms of like the actual practice dates, actual practice times. Um, is it just the spring game that's open to the public or will there be a couple more practices that, that, you know, you guys can go out and see that we can go see. Hopefully we get to see a lot. It'd be a lot of fun to be able to go watch these guys. And even just, I mean, the, we talked about the, the tackles last year, but it kind of sunk in this morning to me that the tackle situation is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, and that's why I got on the Jake Wiley, Tommy Brown stuff. But you've got both your starters back. Plus you add the Bama transfer, who I think is probably going to be your best tackle. You you add Alex Harkey from the transfer portal, the Juco guy. Um couple freshmen, you've got Tank in there. That's a fun battle. That's a fun battle. And it, it starts here in a week. <sighs> I was sick of the offseason. I was sick of the offseason. Um, all of this is just to say, though, it's time It's time to talk about the quarterbacks. Uh, the, 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 the reason I talked about my current energy level about this season is because the energy level is finally, finally high enough to dig into the quarterbacks the way that they deserve to be dug into um, because that's obviously the biggest battle in camp. It's it's kind of a rematch too, right? You know, because it's Brendan Lewis versus JT Shrout round two. But now you just have a little bit more of the backstory. You know, JT missing um, last season with the ACL injury, not getting a chance to, to play. And I, I do think that he was going to be the opening day starter. I, the, the more I talk to people, the more I hear the 
so many different just little stories. You're just like, yeah, I think that JT probably was the guy. Brendan probably I mean, not that not that it was like this big wide gap, like, oh Brendan was terrible. But I do think that, you know, with with JT, you get maybe not quite so many flashes as you do with Brendan, but pretty close to it with the cannon arm. Um, but the the lows are, are higher. The lows are higher. You know, you at the very least, I think that what in the Texas A and M game, maybe in the Texas A and M game, Carl benches Brendan for JT if JT is healthy. And if not there, then in the Minnesota game, when you're down 13-0 late in the third quarter, I think I think at that point you you, you probably see JT get in. Um, and, and if things go well, then he takes the starting job there if he didn't get it out of camp. It's just so tough. And again, those are the kinds of things that hopefully we get to talk to Brendan about this year because he was not in, a, in an easy situation. You know, it's typically when you're a starting quarterback, a first-time starting quarterback, you you have a level of protection, which is that if things don't go well, then they stop, right? You, you, can, only, you can only fall down so far because the coach is going to say, yep, first-time quarterback, it's not going well. We're going to go with this guy, see if he has it. And because of the way that things were structured last year, you, you know, you wind up with two scholarship quarterbacks and one is a true freshman. It's, uh, it's, it's a rough situation, especially for such a young player. And, and I know that he's heard some of the talk. I know that he's, he's kind of been through what he's been through. Um, but that also comes with the territory. So uh, it's just, just the mindset, the, the grind that he had to go through. And not to mention the grind that JT had to go through um, in, in like his, his time at Tennessee. You know, I think there were two seasons where he's competing for the starting job and doesn't get it. And at various points, the quarterback play dips off, and it's like, can I get on the field here? He, he gets a couple of opportunities. They generally go well, too. When, when J2 is on the field, typically good things happen. Um, but, you know, as a sophomore, decided it was it. He's ready to, to try his hand somewhere else and comes to Colorado. Uh, I didn't even want to get this deep into it yet. Honestly, I wanted to touch on a little bit of news first. Um, and we're actually going to hit that real quick. And then we're going to get back to these quarterbacks because it's not even just a two-horse race. I think that there's probably an 85% chance that your starting quarterback is JT or Brendan. But there's six, six guys who are on scholarship who are going to be playing quarterback this season. So the door might be more open than we we give credit to. Um so we're going to dig into Brendan a little bit deeper. We're going to dig into JT a little bit deeper. Um, we're we're going to dig into all the way down to like Oki Salvea. Like, is, is there a chance that he winds up being the starter? I don't think so for about six different reasons. But if, if he shows up and, and that running ability translates, like you could see him carving out a wildcat role, especially like could, could he be sort of like a Visca type? probably more of like a tight end running back and then potentially wildcat quarterback type, but wildcat quarterback with a more expansive package. But also, I mean, if JT's the starter, you go wildcat, would you really put him in instead of, Bre- I don't know. We, we'll, we'll get into that in a second, I'm, which I'm very excited for. Uh, first of all, though, there is one piece of news that we got to get to. Um, it's not going to take long, but four transfers yesterday out of CU's women's basketball program. 
Um, and, and real quick, just because, you know, we can do it real quick. JR has been running this program similarly to how Tad has uh, on the men's side in terms of the COVID year. So basically with the COVID year, the, the buffs on the basketball side of things are just pretending it doesn't exist um, because you can get caught up in like, okay, do we bring back Elijah Parquet for one more year? Um, he's a good player, but also if you do that, what is your guard rotation looking like? Does does Keyshawn get enough minutes? Does KJ get enough minutes? Does Julian get enough minutes? Um, if if the answer is no, one of those guys is likely to transfer. Are you all right with that? And it's like, yeah, maybe. But then also, and I think that because there's a little bit of a gamble in that, and because they've they've been building this program in a way where they look ahead four years and build everything four years out with their recruits and fill in that way. I think that that's the big reason why Tad just says, you know what, Eli, we appreciate what you've done. Go go try some somewhere else. Like go prove yourself somewhere else. Um, and I think that that is the right decision. Bit bit the men in the butt this year though, right? Dallas Walton as a seven footer that would have been valuable down the stretch because Colorado just didn't have anybody over six foot nine, and that uh, that made things a challenge. You know. They, they, Deshaun Schwartz, if he could have started at the three for him, that could have gone a long way as well. Um, even, even having Jariah back at the four. But again, what do all these have in common? Well, the reason that it didn't work out is because you don't have a seven-footer. Lawson Lovering would have been that guy if he didn't get hurt. Um, you, did, you didn't have somebody who you just love as a true three, right? You know, Tristan, more of a four in my opinion. Um, and so if Quincy had been healthy... Well, guess what? All of a sudden, that rotation changes quite a bit. And I don't think he starts over Tristan. I think you have to give Tristan the start just to be like, dude, we, we get how good you are. We, we get it. You're, you're going to be playing a lot of four with the second unit, but you're a starter. But then Quincy eats a lot of those minutes. And, and because the buffs were down, first of all, the eight scholarship players, eight scholarship players, which is just kind of ridiculous to think about, seven of them freshmen or sophomores, you're... You're saying, oh, it would have been nice if he had Deshaun Schwartz back. would have been nice if he had Jariah back. would have been nice if Mason Faulkner would have stuck around. But then you have to remember that that's because they would have filled in for injuries. And and they probably would have been a little bit better, but you're by the end of the year, would they really? like? Would, would Could Quincy have gotten to the point where saying, like, ah, I don't really want to keep Quincy on the bench all that much. And, and for his development, that's probably a good thing. Also, and this is something Tad has pointed out, you've... you've give Quincy six minutes a game because you have to feed so much to Deshaun and to Jabari and to uh, Eli, if he's healthy, you know, he, he could slide into the three occasionally on some of those three guard lineups. Um, and then of course, Tristan there as well. If, if you get stuck late in the season, you're like, ah, well, we just can't find a, a 10th minute. You know, he's playing single digits every night. Quincy might not lock, like it and he would transfer. And that's kind of the big thing behind it. So while I get that you're typically losing your better players when you could just have them for one more year and that part stings in terms of building a program. I think that long-term it makes sense just to let those seniors walk instead of being too caught up in this one moment, especially in what was a rebuilding year and then have to pay those consequences two, three years down the road when, you know, say you don't have Quincy or KJ anymore because they both hit the portal. And then you see them play really well somewhere else when you're playing some freshman cause you're a little bit behind. I, I like this strategy, and this was a long tangent to explain why I like it, although I understand the other side absolutely. 
Um, I think it is a point of preference. The, the, the point here, though, is that when you see these transfers, I don't look at it as people are running from Colorado's women's program. You know, it's... It's, it's kind of like the early days when people are saying like, oh, Colorado, you know, the football team, 14 transfers. Uh-oh, I don't know if this is good. 12 transfers, whatever it was. It's like, yeah, but who's transferring? Like you lose Levante Chenault, you lose a Shaw Clayton, talented guys, but also like, yeah, saw this one coming. Like things were not working out here. And then on, behind that, it's a bunch of guys who absolutely were never going to see the field. And it's like, let's not. And then all of a sudden the tide's turned. And so now if you get to the point where it's like Jalen Sherratt, Kendall Weta, they transferred. It's like, yeah, now, now you're starting to, to panic. Um, but the way things are going now for the women, just in case you guys saw this going around Twitter, whatever, um, it's, it's probably good attrition, which is always, it feels kind of mean to say, um, but open up a couple scholarships. And, and here's who transferred. Crazy we went this long without me saying who actually just transferred here. So, I mean, the, the big names, first of all, Peanut Tutelli. Um, she's been, she's played a lot of the five. She's four and five for, for Colorado starter. She's, uh, I mean, been one of the key players for this team for a couple of seasons now. We've known all year that both her and Lucila, uh, yeah, Lucina, or sorry, Lucila Finau um we're going to transfer like we knew they went through the senior day it was all this sort of stuff again they're going to use that covid year somewhere else um and and again big losses for sure pretty similar probably oh i guess if you could compare it to like losing jariah and deshaun schwartz last year in 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 men's terms i think that this is probably pretty similar to that um but again for the same reasons as much as you'd like to run it back with a bunch of these same players, it just makes sense to to stick onto your schedule. Don't don't try to, you know, have you ever played like a Madden franchise or, or NBA where you get to build a team, you make a run? It's like, yeah, well, let's we could add this thirty four year old who's a star, but also we trade a first round pick to do it, which is basically what happens if somebody goes to the transfer portal because they're not getting enough minutes. It's just not worth it. So so those are the two really big names. And again, we've known for a while that this was probably what was going to happen. I guess there was a chance that they would just uh, go to, um, you know, go go try play in Europe, something like that. Um, the Buffs also lost two other players. Uh, so Kylie Blackston, she, she's a Colorado native. Uh, she's a, she was a sophomore, I believe. Yeah, she was a sophomore. And again, she's, she's looking for a bigger opportunity. I think she was in 24 games, um, but in very small roles, uh, six minutes per game. Um, again, this is, uh, I think Dalen Kuntz, for example, uh, I'll also lose Sophie Gerber. So Sophie, uh, was a walk-on in the basketball team. And uh, I guess I might as well say um, Maya Hollingshed obviously graduated. She's going to try the WNBA. Um, Aubrey Knight also graduated. Um, so actually there were... Oh, because Maura Singer as well. Remember Maura medically retired, uh, like one of the bigs, uh, medically retired about halfway through the season. So 
you wind up with seven open scholarships on this basketball team. And still, like, a, a good nucleus, right? Like, Kendall Weta, one of the best... I, I bet she, she had to be on the Pac-12 All-Freshman team, which, again, Pac-12, best women's basketball conference. That's huge. Um, you, you have Jalen Sherrod, who is going to be back for her senior year. She's going to be uh, one of the top guards in the Pac-12. Um, you also get... Quay is going to be back. Quay Miller, she probably moves into the starting lineup. She was really good late in the season. Just a six foot three center that goes a long way. Uh, plus, she has a shot, so you provide some spacing for a team that desperately needs it. She's going to see an expanded role. Uh, Tamea Sadler, uh, again, scary injury, but it didn't. It sounds like she should be good long term. Um, she will. I, th- I think she was starting. Yeah, she was starting. No, she might have. She was starting. Um, so you have her at the two, so you have that three guard. Okay, so so they still have a, a good core, and they have a pretty big class. Um, four freshmen signed up, so they're 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 going to have a few scholarships still to play with, though, and it's going to be interesting. Like, do they go young, kind of build around? Honestly, kind of build around Kindle. Probably not. I think not. Not that she's bad, but I think you bring in those four freshmen, you add um, three transfers, and all of a sudden you're competing this year. And you're still set up long term, right? So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, I uh, I think that that's all my thoughts there. DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. They have all sorts of awesome offers. So yesterday, actually, we made a same-game parlay. I've been on DNVR bets the last couple of days because Dre's out of town. And yesterday, we hit the parlay we made plus seven fifty. Um, for the for the Nuggets game. So it was the Nuggets and the Clippers needed the Nuggets to win the first half. You had 30 combined points and assists from Jokic, um, a steal from Jokic, a block from Aaron Gordon, uh, two assists. No, no, no. It was two bones, threes. It was three assists from Monte. Um, and, and it all hit. And of course it did. Like it, it, Most of it hit in the first half. The only thing we needed in the second half was five more. Or sorry, it wound up being seven because they took that last basket away. Seven more points plus assists. So that could be seven assists, that could be seven points, that could be five points and two assists, and that's basically a lock for Jokic in a half of basketball. So that was a lot of fun, and uh, we made another one today. So hopefully you guys get in on that, and if you're a new user, now's the time to sign up because you can get, well, I can't do the math that quick, I tried to give myself that extra second, uh, five, ten, so what, 20, 40 times your money if you bet on any college basketball team, and the way that it works is you pick who's going to win any game, put down $5. If you're right, you get $200 in free bets. Plus, you won that bet too, so whatever you earned. I would probably take a favorite if I were you and not try to win too much money on that. Make sure you get those $200, those five $40 free bets. It's an awesome promotion. Definitely get in on that because, you know, the further you get through this tournament, the less valuable that is. Like Everybody talks about those first-round upsets, and there are a lot of first-round upsets. But once you get down into like the championship game, it's kind of a toss up, right? Like it's not, you want to be messing around with those early rounds and you can find a matchup and still might get screwed over by St. Peter's, but whatever. Uh, Like I said, down the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use the promo code DMVR, bet $5 on any college hoops team to win and you'll get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, then you win with promo code DNVR this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. 
Minimum $5 deposit. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Also, Athletic Greens. So, as I've said a couple times now, I just started taking Athletic Greens... I guess it's probably been a month now. It's probably been a month now. Um, and, and what that is, is it's like a powder. It's like a supplement that you mix up in your water. And it actually tastes pretty good. And it's really, really good for you. There's 75 different vitamins in there. There's minerals in there. There's a bunch of different superfoods. And basically, they grind everything up. It's super concentrated. So it just takes one little scoop. You stir it around. Actually, I got like the shaker thing. Um, that's pretty cool that they sent. And just shake it all up you drink it and uh, like I said like you just feel the difference um it, it might not be quite as powerful as like a cup of coffee but it definitely does have like an energy energizing effect I think it's perfect for like so I, I wake up and typically what I used to do is like wake up go to the gym and then depending on what time of year it is like do I drive up to football practice after that do am I working from home do is there basketball whatever um but Typically, I go somewhere and I get coffee on the way. Now, I get this Athletic Greens. That wakes me up, gets me all ready to go to the gym. Afterward, you get that coffee wherever on the way. It's And then you don't need like a massive one because there's some days. It's just nice to have that little bump so you're not stuck drinking whatever massive amount of coffee. That That's at least what happened to me. Um, but it doesn't just give you energy. Obviously, there's a bunch of other stuff that helps you out in there. Better gut health. Um, it helps your immune system. It's basically everything that you can get in one of those vitamins or supplements, um, but they pack even more in um, and you just mix it up in your drink. It really is cool stuff. You definitely should check it out. And if you're interested, you can actually get a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do, go to athleticgreens.com slash buffs. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash buffs. Take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, quarterbacks. Uh, I am fired up, and I, I know I've made that pretty clear. This is going to be fun. Um, and to be honest, I mean, we, we all watched Brendan Lewis last year, right? Like, we know what, what the strengths are, what the weaknesses are. But I will say that was I, as I was kind of like going through, brushing up, getting ready for this podcast, you know, you go and you watch some JT Shrout tape. Then you go and flip over and watch some Brendan. And the difference in arm strength is very apparent. It's, um, it's not just like a one-notch difference. It is, it's, it's the kind of arm strength that just opens up the field in a way that the field doesn't open up for Brendan. Now, there's, there's ways around that, and we'll get into all this stuff, but this is where I want to start here, is that JT Shroud's arm is significantly better than Brendan's arm, at least, at least based on what we've seen. And, you know, we, we saw JT in his second year, or no, he would have been a redshirt sophomore um, back when he got the most run. So that was the 2020 season. Um, so it, it, first of all, 2019, uh, played in four games, 13 to 27, 179 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions. Um, there's, there's a throw in the South Carolina game that gets a lot of play. Uh, there, there was a big win for Tennessee, and he was 7 of 11 in that game, 122 yards with a touchdown, but there was this bomb, a 55-yard bomb that stands out, and I actually tweeted that out from the Buffs account today, uh, just to get people hyped about these quarterbacks. I felt like it was a good time to do that since we're talking about them. Um, 
you do see that on tape from that season. But like I said, most of his work came the next year. So this is his redshirt sophomore year in 2020. Um, so played quite a bit against Texas A&M. After they were down, he got subbed in. This was uh, that that was one of the late season games, uh, maybe the last game of the season. Even just trying to get a look for the for the next year, they wanted to sub these guys in because, like I said, there was a, a, there were a few quarterbacks competing for that starting job, and JT never won it. Um, again, played as a redshirt sophomore, whatever. Um, he got a lot of work against Florida. That was one of the games you go back and watch. Twelve of fourteen. Uh, 121 yards, touchdown, no interceptions. So, overall, he's thrown, what, 42, 69 passes, which is really nice. Um, He's completed 37 of them. It's weird that at this point, Brendan Lewis is the more experienced quarterback. Significantly more experienced. Like, he spent a lot more time on the field, um, which is a flip from what was going on last season. Getting back to the, like the point of this all, though, his most recent tape is as a redshirt sophomore, so his third year on campus versus Brendan Lewis, the bulk of his coming in second year on campus. So you're you're kind of comparing apples and oranges, right? Like maybe Brendan's arm is going to grow a little bit, and the gap gets closed. But I do think that that's that's one of the key points in this quarterback competition is I could just see these coaches falling in love with JT's arm. Cause I know it's college football. I know you need like the playmaking ability and you, the quarterback who can run can make a bunch of plays that, that a guy like JT Shrout probably can't, but it is playing quarterback and a laser arm like that. It's easy to get hopeful. And I mentioned this earlier, you get out there at pro day, you see him ripping the ball and immediately you walk out onto the practice field and you're like, wait, what's going on? Oh, is that, yeah, that's JT throwing the, holy cow, look at that ball get out of his hand. It's wild. Um, and, and for that reason, I do think that he has the leg up in this competition. Just to kind of spoil where we're going <laughs> with this podcast. Um, before we get into Brendan, let's keep going with JT. I know I've said a lot of really good things about him because there's honestly just a bunch of good things you can say. You know, we've we've seen him hit some really beautiful deep balls. Um, even though he hasn't played so much, if you're just looking and comparing the best throws from JT versus the best throws from Brendan, I mean, of the top five combined throws from those two, at least three of them are going to be coming from JT, uh, despite having significantly fewer passing attempts in his career. And I think that that's notable. Um, with JT though, the accuracy isn't always there. There's, there's times when he misses, you know, I I think that down the field, he, he, he can throw those lasers that you talk about that show off the the arm strength. He can also hit the gaps in the zone and kind of drop one in, you know, those, those kind of cover two breakers, like down the sideline in that little hole between the corner and the flat and the safety deep. JT can drop a ball right there. JT can also fire a ball right there. But the fact that he can make those different types of throws downfield is, first of all, really impressive. What you don't like when you go back and watch JT, though, is some of the things that happen closer to the line of scrimmage. You know, there's a few plays after that beautiful deep ball. Or no, 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 that was a different one. That was against... Maybe that was the A&M game. I think that was the A&M game. He drops one in over the top on like his second throw of the game. It's like a f- I think it goes like 55 in the air. 
um, for a touchdown. Maybe I think it's 55 in the air for a touchdown um, and just perfectly placed. And I think it might have been his next throw. It's just a little swing pass, and he puts it over the receiver's head, the running back's head, and it's going backwards, and it's like a five-yard loss, and you're just like, well, <laughs> what was that? Like, We just saw what you can do. There, there's some others where you see him fire the ball, but it's just off target when you're close to the close to the line of scrimmage, you know, there there's sometimes they'll hit the ground. Um, sometimes they'll just be like left and right accuracy. Like, and I'm not sure if that's human stride. It seems like when you see some of those misses just in general with big arm quarterbacks or, or on throws that have a lot of power behind them, it's like the, the quarterback's kind of like reaching back a little extra, right? So like they, it almost changes up their throwing motion because they're trying to get so much on the ball that just kind of, jams their arm up and they either spike it in the ground or just aren't quite as accurate with it. I will say that with JT's misses on those throws, he does he does have that quick release. Like like it still does look sharp. And I think that that's probably easier to like I don't think there's fundamentally something wrong that causes him to be inaccurate. I think that he just kind of needs to dial that in. Um and and I think that Again, like it's just kind of like the surface level, like just get these reps in, put these balls on target, reps, 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 reps. And I think you can work it out. I think the other part of that is chemistry, right? So if, if you're missing left and right on a slant, it's like, well, do you know how fast that receiver is going to go? Do you know how that, how, how that receiver is going to, I guess you don't see the press very often in college, but, but what little move he's going to make off the line to get an, a nice clean release, try to, try to get open, like is, is, is that going to take him a half second? So I can take him a second and a half because he's dancing out there like Jerry Judy. You, when you're the backup quarterback, especially when you're the third string quarterback, you're subbing into these games. You could see how that sort of chemistry, especially when you're you're firing those balls in, can cause some issues. I do think that although you do see some nice touch passes, he does have a tendency to to fire them just a little bit too often. So if if on you know those those closer passes you should be just to pick a random number you should be firing the ball in half the time and and kind of giving that little touch pass about half the time um, and the numbers are definitely different than that but that's just an example then with JT you see him fire it like 60% of the time and it's not like these huge problems and I think again you go back to the inexperience right when, when he's playing games um, a, a lot of the time he he hasn't been playing a whole lot recently and he's probably not getting a bunch of reps in in practice and in you know like the 2020 season i think he played in their last 3 games of the season 14 attempts 13 attempts 14 attempts you're coming in off the bench in games that are pretty much decided at that point and you don't have all the reps and you're going up against number 6 florida and so you're going up against a team that's really sharp uh and, and it's just it causes some issues. And again, in that one, 12 of 14, 121 yards, and he looked as good as Kyle Trask on the other side. Um, but there's obviously some other games that, you know, did not compare to Kyle Trask in that 2020 season. Um, so I do... Th- I can, I'm excited about a bunch of these quarterbacks. And, and that does absolutely start with J.T. Shrout and Brendan Lewis. I think that there's reasons to be hesitant about both of them. You know, I'm I'm not sitting here saying like, oh, well, is is this going to be uh, you know, Lamar Jackson versus Tom Brady here? 
It's like, ah, I'm not, I'm not saying that. But I do think that both of these guys have tools that you really like. I think that if you give them some reps and let them play, I think that there's a good chance that you're pretty happy with what you see from them this season. Um, at, at the very least, there's reason to be hopeful. Um, and so I do think like the, the positives outweigh the negatives with JT. You know, that the accuracy stuff, if, if he continues to miss some of those passes, well, guess what? That probably makes him a lot like most, you know, below average power five quarterbacks, right? If he doesn't clean up that accuracy, because that's a very common complaint that you have with those guys. Um, I think that he'll, in that world, he still gives you some of those deep balls where once or twice a game, he's hitting a 40, 50 yard or whatever. And on those you say, well, at least, at least you have that in the, in the tank. Like at least, at least we're getting those and it might be kind of inconsistent, but it's a, it's, it's not out of line with the level of quarterback play that you've seen from Colorado over the last 15, 20 years, well, basically ever since they just stopped, go, stopped running that triple option. So even more than that, I guess. Um, as Cordell was different. But I think that that's most of it with JT. I'll, I'll also say very confident guy. I think that he has the personality to be a QB1. Um, I think that... I think that... I guess I haven't heard much about him on the board. I will say that. Um, he seems like a really bright guy, and so you hope that that translates to football senses. Um, and I think that that works for him. Um, yeah, I don't have much else to like measure. The... I think he has some intangibles. I'll say that. Um, just in like the short period of time that I've gotten to spend with him and from you know everything else. Um, bu- 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 jump into Brendan, I guess. Jump into Brendan. So again, like you go from the JT tape to the Brendan tape, and you say, okay, there's there's some gas missing on this arm, and depending on the system that this coaching staff wants to run, that could really matter. You know, it isn't it isn't the deep balls where that matters. You know, deep balls you don't need a lot of arm strength. Like you gotta get the ball there, but you're not really firing those missiles where those hurt you where the lack of arm strength will hurt you is on the throws to the sideline. And you def- you definitely see that. You know, I went back and watched that Oregon State game, and there's like a, a throw to uh, Levante on the sideline that he gets upfield where you're just like, that ball's hanging in the air, hanging in the air, hanging. Don't do that when you have Christian Gonzalez coming to town, that's for sure. Um, I think that there's definitely some of those throws where that lack of arm strength really does show up. I, I mean, honestly, most of them across the middle. Most of them, when you're looking for it, like when you just came from watching JT, you're like, oh, yeah, this is weaker. This is weaker. This is weaker. Um, at points, he was really able to make it work, right? I mean, that Oregon State game was one of them. We're still able to complete the passes. You know, they might be a little bit wobbly. They might not just be fired into a guy's chest so they catch it and run. I and mean, it gives the, the defense, when those guys are sitting in those little gaps in the zones, it gives them a little more time to collapse and maybe a little bit run less run after catch. But at the same time, when you talk about you know, firing the ball into the sideline. That's true when you're in the pocket. Like, when you're in the pocket, you have to have a lot of arm strength to get the ball to the sideline. Otherwise, that you know how those angles play out. It's just really easy for that cornerback to get into that ball flight path because, I mean, what, that's a 20-yard throw or whatever. You could be on the other hash mark, too. It could be even longer than that. Um, with Brendan, obviously, his best trait is his his legs, his running ability, his mobility. 
And if you're just getting him out of the pocket and he's running these bootlegs, he's throwing to the sideline from the sideline, well, all of a sudden that arm strength doesn't matter all that much. And I think that, you know, with the West Coast offense, that's where Carl Durrell comes from. That's where a lot of these coaches come from. I think that we're going to probably see a lot of those concepts. You can really run it either way. You know, you, you can sit in the pocket and pick them apart. Um, you can also call those big bootlegs that, you know, John Elway made famous, that Aaron Rodgers running now, uh, Jake Plummer also in Denver, and that's like outside zone West Coast offense, just running bootlegs. And, and I don't know that the style of offense, I guess, really does change all that much. Um, I think that... I think that both these guys, you could build an offense around. I do think that if you roll with Brendan, he does need to run the ball more than he did last year. Um, that's just... Beca because JT seems to be um, the better passer, and you know, I'm not saying like he's, he's 10 times the passer that Brendan is. Or there's, like, there's definitely a gap in, in terms of their passing ability on tape, but at the same time, like... If if Brendan took this offseason and threw 200 footballs every day, first of all, his arm's probably going to be worn out by the time you get to the season. But you could also see how that could get some more zip on his passes, right? And so if he's able to figure out those mechanics a little bit more and fire the ball in just a little bit more, he could close that gap. He could absolutely close that gap. And for, for all of his flaws, he didn't turn the ball over last year. Um, and, and so you do have that piece there too um, that, you know, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. Those are, those are those little wins for Brendan, whereas JT has some bigger wins when you just look at the passing game purely. Last year, though, Brendan ran the ball, oh yeah, they call it 98 times, but you have to remember that the sacks are factored in. And I think Colorado gave up the second most sacks in the Pac-12. I think that it was about 36, so about 60 real rushing attempts. Some of them designed, some of them, uh, you know, just spur of the moment. And, and that all happened in a 12-game season. So you're looking at about five carries a game. It makes sense to try to protect Brendan in the 2021 season because your backup is Drew Carter and he's your only other scholarship quarterback. And he's a true freshman. And you do not want to be in a world where... You know, Brendan misses two games, and all of a sudden you have to roll with Drew Carter into, you know, a stretch of the season. So I do think that there may have been some decisions there to protect him. I think that with JT back, in order for Brendan to win this job, he needs to be able to make a couple of plays a game, a few plays a game with his legs, so that you aren't sitting there thinking like, okay, he has ran the ball four times in this game, three times in this game. And why in the world would we keep JT on the bench if that's how you're going to use a quarterback? And, and so, so you have that aspect of it. You also have the aspect of you do have a backup, so you can play a little bit riskier. Um, not that Brendan really cares all that much about that, I guess, but the coaching staff and the way that they coach these guys tell him to play, you know. Um, yeah, uh, Brendan did make some really good throws. I think late in the season, we saw him really get comfortable. There were games where... It felt like he was really picking the defense apart. Um, you know, that that Oregon game, 25-33, only 224 yards. So, the again, he's throwing these short balls. But, hey, that's I – think, I think you – for you Broncos fans, you know, it's, it's kind of the Teddy Bridgewater thing, right? Where it's like, okay, 
he his deep ball isn't on target, but there's reason to think he can figure it out. Like he isn't he isn't like a deep ball threat in any way. But the arm strength isn't going to limit him there. We've seen him hit a couple of those. And this year, if he gets more time to practice, you could see how it could get better. On top of that, though, it's going to be finding open receivers and just throwing these little touch passes in um, until we see different, until we see that arm improve. Uh, That was one of two 200-yard games in that season. Um, The other one was against Arizona, 12-19 for 248. That was a 34-0 win. Um, Outside of that... I mean, even that UCLA game, he's fairly efficient. I think that UCLA game, there was a big fourth down where he threw the ball out of bounds. And see, those are the those are the things with Brendan that honestly concern me more than anything. Like, kind of a, a, a weaker arm for a quarterback? Absolutely. You can get around that. We've seen quarterbacks get around that before. The his is being too conservative was a problem for him last year. Um, and I think that there's there's probably a lot of reasons for that. You know, when you're the freshman, you you're probably told over and over and over again, don't turn the ball over. Like number one, keep the ball in our hands. And because of that, just the the time it took him to pull the trigger, um, oh, I haven't looked up. I should have looked up those stats for this podcast. Um, but they're they're not good. He held the ball longer than most of the quarterbacks in the Pac-12, and I know that about halfway through the season, it was worse by a pretty wide margin. Um, Again, you you don't it's double edged sword, right? Like you don't want him throwing in the traffic, but also you do need your quarterback to throw the ball sometimes. And and while the offensive line really struggled, it is true that of those thirty six sacks or whatever, second most in the Pac twelve, there there were plenty that you say, well, Brendan, if you hold the ball for three and a half seconds, that's just what happens. Um, and there were there were plenty of others that were, yeah. The offensive line got cooked. Jake Wiley got cooked. Frank Phillip, whoever. Uh, guess what? Defender was right there, and it's a sack. Um, so you need... It's it's tough to say what exactly that is. I think a good bet is probably just processing time, right? For a young quarterback getting out there. He wasn't ready. He he was not ready, and that was very obvious. He, he was much better late in the season, um, but early on, I don't think he was ready to, to be out there. Uh... I think that now you could probably expect to see him process things faster. And I think you see improvement in his arm, too. Um, just all those sorts of things, really. Uh, this is going to be a, a, a great quarterback competition. And like I said, I, it's probably more like 90% that one of these two guys gets it. But there are a couple other guys with some big arms in there. We're going to get to those in a second um, after we kind of wrap up the the meat of this conversation, which is JT Shrout versus Brendan Lewis. Um if I were to handicap it right now, I would say it's probably 65-35 that JT wins. Um, and I feel pretty confident. Let's just call it 2-1 to one that JT wins. It's There's obviously traits that you like from Brendan. Um, the, the, the running ability being easily his best trait. Uh, but again, I mean, what what... You just didn't get enough out of that last year. And the whole offense was inept, so just expecting him to run the ball really well. It was a stretch. And, you know, his his best running games, those came at the beginning of the season. You know, he, he finishes 188 rushing yards. The sacks are subtracted from that. So if there's 36 five-yard sacks, then all of a sudden there's another 180 yards. Um, if they average seven yards of sacks, then they're whatever. Let me let me pull up the actual rushing numbers here. Um, but 
You know, he, he ran the ball well against Northern Colorado. He, he ran the ball well against Texas A&M. Net 77 yards. Things did fall off late for him, too. Uh, and, and I'm not sure if that's body issues because he's taking a beating in the pocket and he doesn't want to put his body on the line any more than he has to at that point in the season. Um, I would guess that some of it is defenses realizing like, okay, this is an offense that doesn't have a lot of things going for it. We, we don't, we straight up do not need to respect Jarek Broussard. Like we probably thought we did coming into the season. We, we do not need to respect Brendan Rice and, you know, Levante Chenault or whoever else, um, like like the way we would have to respect, first of all, like USC's receivers, but probably even pretty average Pac-12 receivers. And because of that, when you look at the things that could cause problems for you in a game that you should win, which is what most teams thought when they played Colorado last year, you look at a quarterback who could get loose, all of a sudden he breaks two long runs, those lead to, to touchdowns, and there's 14 points right there, and you're one drive away from the Buffs putting up 21, and all of a sudden that's a number that means that it's not going to be an easy win. Um, so I do think that the, the the just general ineptitude of the offense, it hurt Brendan in a lot of different ways. Um, it hurt Brendan in a lot of different ways. And especially for a guy who, you know, it, it isn't his arm strength that makes the plays, right? Like, he isn't just going to be firing away, firing away. Sometimes I think that Brendan probably does need his playmakers to make plays for him in the passing game. You know, if, if for JT... If you send somebody on a post and it's, you know, it's Jalen Jackson who just flies out there, you say, Jalen Jackson, go run a post. He's so fast that there's going to be a gap in there at some point and JT can just slam a ball in there. You need a little bit more separation if you're Brendan. And Jalen Jackson, is he that guy to get separation? Could be, could not be. But that's why I think JT in the passing game could probably unlock some things. They could also unlock more in the running game, you know, and, and there's, it's, it's just really hard to get an honest evaluation on uh, in Brendan Lewis, but really anybody who is in that offense last year at any position, just because everybody struggled. Um, the stats though, Brendan last year, 71 actual rushing attempts. These are from Pro Football Focus, by the way. 71 actual rushing attempts, 382 of or 382 yards on those. So 5.4 yards per attempt. Just to be frank, is not a good number for a quarterback. Um, you also look at some of these, and it's like uh, I'm pretty sure this is QB sneak. There, oh, that's a Neil. Okay. Uh, I was like, QB sneaks, there were four and he lost seven yards. No, those were the Neils. So that's a lot better. But the QB sneak was three carries for three yards. Um, the, uh, the the fumbles, he fumbled twice and, and those lost three yards when he got him back. Uh, forced 20 missed tackles over the course of the season. 12 of those were on scrambles. 197 of his yards were on scrambles. Um you know, it's it's tough. I mean, it, the numbers make it pretty clear. I'm very clear that he was much better scrambling than on designed runs, which again probably makes sense. But when you're trying to figure out what do you do with Brendan, how do you use Brendan so that he can be worth 
the the downgrade in the passing game. You know, can is it's it's that's that's a big question. That's a big question. And I think first of all, this is a coaching staff that's going to believe in itself. You know, I think that they 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 aren't going to say, well, we kind of need to play this style of offense, and we just think JT is going to be better at that style of offense. Uh, they will be willing to cater things to whoever the better football player is, and that absolutely works in Brendan's favor. Um, there was one more thing. I want, oh yeah, I wanted to look at uh, the uh, the time it took for Brendan to throw the ball um, because. It took Brendan quite a while to throw the ball, typically. Um, this is loading. I'm going to pause real quick, and I'll let you know in a second. Okay, so 337 FBS quarterbacks last year threw or dropped back to pass at least 100 times. So out of all of those quarterbacks, uh, 15 of them took longer to throw on average than Brendan Lewis. Um, so, again, we... I don't know that we needed a stat because we knew that he held on to the ball for a very long time. Um, but there, there is the stat. There is the stat. Um, for his career, JT Shrout uh, is averaged 2.6 seconds to throw the ball, 2.6. Um, his, his redshirt freshman year, it was 2.69. His next year, la- the, the last year he played, it was down to 2.55. So... 2.6 for his career, got down to 2.55 in the most recent action. Brendan has that 3.19 for last season, which is obviously a little over a half second longer. Um, again, they play different styles. Like when JT, first of all, JT, while he isn't like a guy who you're going to read run read options with over and over again, he he can still run like bootlegs and stuff. Like it's not like he's just a statue back there. Uh, but you probably do typically have him working from the pocket. Um, very different, very different from Brendan Lewis. For Brendan, you know, when he is spending even more time on the run because it just makes more sense. I mean, I thought they should have been using him on bootlegs a lot more than they did last season, and I was just baffled all the way through. But when you are running plays that typically. Like, when, when you're an athlete and you can buy more time, guess what? Your average time to throw is going to be higher. And I don't know, that doesn't cover the whole gap between him and JT, but it, it does cover some of it, you know? So, it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a real battle. And, like I said, I think it's about 2-1 to one that JT wins. I also, I also think that whoever wins is going to be much better than the quarterback play that Colorado had last year. You know, if it's just Brendan Lewis running it back with another year of experience with a competent offensive coordinator with what should be a competent offensive line, that's a step in the right direction. If if it's JT Shrout and he just beat out Brendan Lewis, well, obviously he's better than what you had last year because Brendan Lewis, at the very least, is what you had last year. Um, so that's those two. And those are my thoughts. And again, and JT obviously coming off that ACL injury, it does sound. Last I heard, like he's going to be pretty close to full go for spring ball, um, and we'll we'll see what exactly that looks like. Hopefully, he gets out there quite a bit because um, the more competition you can get out of these guys, the better. And I do think, like I said, this it's no longer a dire situation, which feels pretty good. From there, 
there's, I guess, a chance that one of these guys becomes the starter, becomes the backup, whatever. It does feel like, though, the big competition after the starting job is probably for that number three job. And there's some real good candidates. There's some real good candidates. First of all, you have... I, I decided next up was Maddox Cop, And it was kind of a tough decision, um, mostly because he's transferring in. But just as much experience as Drew Carter, we know that Colorado was in on Maddox Cop uh, before they were in on Drew Carter. So, so Maddox was, their, I think, their number two target. It was Clay Millen who went to Nevada and then transferred with the, the whole coaching staff, which went to CSU. So he's up in Fort Collins now. He was their number one target. From there, it was uh, Maddox Cop, who was their number two target. And he wound up going to Houston. And then it was Drew Carter, who was the number three. Now, that was recruiting rankings, and it's not like there was massive separation between them. And so I, I don't think that that counts for much. But when we're splitting hairs here saying who's more likely... I think if you were to say like, ah, you know, we think Drew Carter's better better than Maddox Cop, and we're confident about that, you don't bring in Maddox Cop. If you think it's close, then it makes sense to bring him in. If you think Maddox Cop is better, well, of course it makes sense to bring him in. So, again, you don't know that there's anything there. There's a chance there's like, yeah, two of these guys, like we think Maddox is good. Let's just load that room up and overcompensate after what happened last year. I don't hate it. I don't hate it at all. Um, but I did give the edge to Maddox Cop. Um, he he is a pa- a pocket passer, um, a really big guy, six foot five, cannon for an arm. Um, went to Houston, like I said, didn't play, wound up hitting the transfer portal, and uh, now he's here as a redshirt freshman. I think that you know if he were a redshirt sophomore, you could really see him competing for the starting job. But I do think that they probably see him as more of a developmental guy, considering he has no experience. Um, this is his first year in the system, all that sort of stuff. I think that they probably see him, Andrew Carter, pretty similarly as uh, as uh, developmental guys. Um, I kind of like the way this lines up. So JT with two years of eligibility left. Um, Brendan with three years of eligibility left. First of all, whoever wins this starting job, should be around for at least a couple of seasons. And that's a good place to be. Having stability at quarterback is a really good feeling. And it feels even better when you're getting good production out of whoever your quarterback is over that period of time. Um, So, you know, if things don't go well, obviously the job is going to be up for grabs next season, but also during the season. And I I was going to save this talk for later. I do think that the coaching staff is going to have a, pretty quick trigger this time around. I don't think it'll be like the Brendan Lewis, Drew Carter situation last year where the staff was very clearly, very obviously against putting Drew Carter on the field for whatever reason, probably just because he was so young. There's no reason to put him out there. I mean, in their mind, maybe even kind of break him by just asking him to do more than he's capable of doing behind an offensive line that can't do its job behind receivers that, you know, it's not like they were anything special. Um, So, I do think that if JT struggles and he's the starter, you could see Brendan Lewis go in in that first game against TCU. If Brendan's the starter and he struggles, you could see the exact opposite happen. So I will say that, and I think that maybe the the best thing 
about the 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 situation with the rest of those guys is that they have a real chance to play themselves up into what what could be seen as a top tier, right? So so they say, you know, JT, Brendan, Maddox, those are guys who are ready to see the field. Those are guys who we could put out there. The rest of them, I just don't see a world where we, we think they give us our best chance to win. And even if Maddox is the third choice, you could see how, you know, you you start with Brendan against TCU. Oh, no, he threw two picks in the first half. The offense hasn't done anything. Fourth quarter, you're down two scores somehow because the defense is playing a great game. See if JT can get in there and, and clean things up. It's like, oh, no, JT struggled too. Now you're down on both these guys. Uh, give Brendan the start again next week. He's your starter. See if he can figure it out. Oh, no, it's happening again. Let's try Maddox Cop this time. So I, I do think that while the number one job, I would be surprised if it wasn't Lewis or Shroud. I wouldn't be surprised if you see three quarterbacks this year. Uh, obviously, something bad has happened at that point. Somebody disappointed or somebody's hurt or whatever. But I think that that's in the cards. Um, I also think that you look at this structure and I wouldn't be surprised to see the Buffs bring in two quarterbacks per class going forward. Um, like a dual threat guy and also a uh, like a, a more of a pocket passer type. So obviously at this top line, you see Brendan Lewis and JT Shroud. You know which one of those is which. Uh, and then in this next class, you have, first of all, Drew Carter, a sophomore. Um, but, you know, as the number three guy or four guy or who knows, likely not number one or two, I think you could probably pretty safely bet that at the end of the season, he's he's a redshirt sophomore. And Maddox Kopp is also now a redshirt sophomore because he burned his redshirt year the year before. Um, so these two kind of in that same class. Kopp, more the pocket passer. Drew Carter on the basketball team, right? Like <laughs> the man can, I, I guess I think Maddox could probably dunk too. And again, it's not like Maddox is bricks for feet, but Drew Carter, very clearly a more mobile guy. Um, you, you look at the true freshman coming in, Oki Salvei, Owen McCown. I think actually Owen is listed as a dual threat and some of his running highlights are pretty impressive. At the same time though, I, I think that, so he's only six one, whatever right now. He's supposed to grow up. A little bit more you know they have the growth plate checks and all that sort of stuff he's gonna get to be a little bit bigger and his athleticism he is a good athlete he is a really good athlete and I think potentially on a Drew Carter level of athlete I do think that as he grows up fills out a little bit you might lose a little bit more of that whereas Oki kind of straight up almost like a gadget quarterback right coming out of the the islands Samoan islands um, I think you could, again, I don't want to put Oki in a box, but the style of football that they play over there in high school, it is, it's kind of rugby-ish, right? So even as a quarterback, you have kind of that sort of background in it. Again, good athlete could develop into a good passer. Um, but I think... Again, a lot of NFL guys on the staff, right? Starting with Carl Durrell, you've got Phil McGagan. There's a lot of NFL guys on the staff. And I think they realize that the most important position is the quarterback. And in the NFL, you know, you do everything you can to get a quarterback. You trade first-round picks for half a decade to go get a quarterback. You, I mean, you, you trade three years of first-round picks to move up in the draft and, and take the number two guy instead of the number four guy. I think that 
in college, obviously, things don't, the processes are very, very different. And the best way to do it might be to over-recruit the quarterback position. You know, bring in two guys from every class. Now, what you, you don't want to be scaring off quarterbacks like saying, oh, we want, here's number 40 quarterback in the country. Want to come compete with this guy? It's like, I, actually, I'm not going to go here. So you wind up with number 80 and number 100, right? So you have to be mindful of those sorts of things. But bringing in multiple quarterbacks, having more competition, even if it means that you might be a little bit more shallow at some of the other positions, there might be something there. There might be something there. And as we stand here today with six quarterbacks on this roster, plus, you know, Ryan Staub has already committed one of the four commits in the 2023 class already, you... uh it it does feel like a shift from last year. And I don't know. I don't want to dig too deep into last year's quarterback situation, but this is one of the things that we've talked about a lot. Um, like us media guys, especially because I know that there's like the sentiment on Twitter where it's like, yeah, you only had two quarterbacks. Well, that's kind of on you for not having more. And there's always something to that. At the same time though, you went into the summer with four quarterbacks. You have Brendan, you had Drew, you had JT Shrout, and you had Sam Neuer. You know, in June or whatever, Sam decides he's going to transfer, and you're like, okay, he's gone. And so you do have the option to replace him there, right? Like, you could go to the portal and add somebody, and in hindsight, they absolutely should have. At the time, though, I don't know that I would have advocated for it just because you have two guys competing for the starting job. The guy that you bring in from the portal, first of all, he's probably been picked over um, quite a few times. I, that's the portal is very fruitful in January and February. The July portal, especially when you're looking for quarterbacks, is not necessarily ideal. And I, I'd have to go look at who exactly was in there. Maybe there was a good option. Um, but he's he's late getting into the system, all that sort of stuff. I don't know that I would be pounding the table saying, "Yeah, you gotta patch that hole over the summer." Um, and then obviously by the time JT goes down, there's there's no way you can do it. Um, also, what is the date to transfer and be eligible? That's another, that might be the most important part here. One sec, I'm going to check on that too. Okay, so yeah, the, the, the deadline for fall and winter sports to transfer to a new school, to, you have to notify the school by the deadline, is May 1st. And I'm pretty sure that doesn't count for grad transfers, because obviously Sam was able to play. And so it can't count for grad transfers. So Colorado couldn't just have their pick of anybody in the portal. Unless, I mean, they just have to sit out that season and then they can play the next one. But they they had their pick of grad transfers in the portal. And I guess so they brought in James Mott, the walk-on who played for the University of Chicago Division Three school. Shortly after the season began, I believe... Maybe maybe it was more like a month after the season. I can't really remember. But I wonder, he must have been a grad transfer as well, which is interesting. So so that would also limit the pool. You're already talking about, you know, July transfer portal. Not, not the most fun place in the world. Also, you can only get grad transfers. Otherwise, they have to sit out for the next season anyway. So you, the idea that you should replace Sam Neuer when he leaves, that that's pretty much dead in my mind. From that point on, you're kind of stuck. Um, you're kind of stuck. So I don't know why we went down that path, but we did. Um, and now, though, I think that 
this is a staff that says, well, if if there's one place where you really should have a lot of depth or depth, ooh, dark, uh, quarterback is the one. Um, and we're seeing that now. Uh, any final thoughts here? I guess it is worth noting that Oki Salavea, he's just kind of starting out at quarterback. That's what they said at the signing day conference or press conference. Um, he's an athlete, so he, he could wind up being a tight end. I wouldn't be surprised if he was an outside linebacker. That might be one of the top spots or even a safety. It, it's just so tough to look at high school that isn't from America, um, at least not the mainland of America. I don't even know how Samoa works because uh, it is it is American Samoa unless there's – I should I'm gonna I'm gonna study all of this stuff up. I should know this. Um, oh, actually, I Google it right now. Independent state of Samoa, unincorporated territory of the United States. So, whatever that means. Um, the point is, figuring out whether he has linebacker speed or safety speed, not all that easy to do given the information that we have. And I think that that's definitely true. The the way the coaching staff sees the situation as well. So. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how that all plays out. Um, but you could also see him being a fun offensive weapon. You know, if he's your Wildcat guy, you can also line him up at tight end. You can move people around a little bit. I, If you want to get creative, Oki Salvea gives you a lot of opportunities to be creative. Um, I, I just haven't said this yet, not uh, just like explicitly. I don't think Owen McCown factors in this year. I think that for a bunch of reasons, maybe the biggest is just that we saw how the staff treated Drew Carter last year when he was a true freshman. Saw the way that uh, the staff treated Brendan Lewis the year before that when he was a true freshman. I I, I think that that's enough. Usually they say like three's a trend, but I think by seeing those two and knowing that, again, Carl Durrell coming up in the NFL at the time he came up in the NFL, I don't see them putting in a young quarterback early. Because what is the... Who's saying this? It might have been Chris Wilson. I think it was Chris Wilson in one of the press conferences said for every, I think he said for every rookie you put on the field, you lose one game, which I thought was an interesting way to look at it. Um, that's obviously like an NFL thing. The NFL guys must be saying that behind the scenes, whatever, but in, it, it kind of makes sense, right? Like if you go into a season, you're like, yeah, we got, we got this rookie receiver. We got this rookie tackle. We've got uh, a rookie linebacker veterans everywhere else it's like that probably accounts for about three losses right there it's like I, you could see that uh, it's i don't know interesting way to look at it and i think that that approach is probably uh probably exists for this cu team um i think that's all my thoughts on the quarterbacks i'm excited to get out there i'm excited to hear from these guys i, I have jt's spirits you know even I know there there were a couple times where you could tell that he was a little bit down, but for the most part, he's been pretty happy. You know, I remember him just flying down the hallway on his scooter when he when he couldn't put weight on his leg. It's like one of those you put your knee on or whatever. There's there's stuff like that that you look at. And you're just like, this guy's a really good energy, and I bet that that will continue going into the season. And and I don't know when I say things like that, I don't want people to take it as Brendan has bad energy, but I do think that it is true. A lot of the time when we talk to Brendan. You guys know how that season went. You know, if, if you're talking to Brendan, you know, two, three times during fall camp and then about once a week during that football season, I mean, Brendan knows what's going on out there. Brendan isn't 
all that excited to answer a bunch of questions more often than not. And so because of that, I do think that, you know, he was forced to be a little bit guarded last year. And and I would love to see him open up, but also I can't say like, you know, you should really speak your mind more because the truth is he was put in a bad situation and there's times when just giving the political answer makes sense. And to his credit, Brendan can absolutely do that. I think I'm not, I'm sure he got some media training, uh, somebody saying like, here's how you got to do this. Here's how you put that sort of stuff. Given the situation, given that he's such a young guy who's going to put in, going to be put in a, not not just a tough situation, but a very public situation. Um, I uh, I don't want people to think that I'm counting Brendan out because I'm absolutely not. Because this totally is a very real competition, and it's going to be really close. It's going to be really, really close. And I don't think we come out of spring ball saying like, oh, well, I think JT's the guy. JT's got to be the guy. Like, start start printing the jerseys or whatever they're allowed. It would be. I would, I would also say this. I think that we get names on jerseys before the season that, like, that fans can buy. And that's not based on anything I've heard. It's just based on, I think people know how much money there is to be made there. And the process of figuring it out can be kind of tricky, obviously, because with the NFL, it's just like the Players Association. And they manage all that sort of stuff, and it, it's negotiate super simple. College, it's a lot more difficult, but I do think that there's probably a, a way to get it done. And it's such a big market that I think everybody has reason to get it done. So I'll say, yeah, start don't don't start printing the JT Shrout jerseys, unless you're printing Brendan's too, in which case, go ahead. But I... uh Brendan has a very real chance here, and he's also a really smart guy. Um, you know, he, again, has, had to be a little bit more guarded, but I do think that he does have, first of all, he straight up just has the brain to be a quarterback, which is a big part of the battle, and we saw that play out, especially late in the season. Some of the reads he was making, especially, like I said, going back and watching that Oregon State game, the way he was able to find the pockets in space, the way he was able to roll out, manipulate defenders, and then get a ball into a receiver. You know, he had a great touchdown pass, maybe to Brendan. I think it might have been to Brendan on uh, one of those where he just rolls out to the left. And he, like, I think he has two receivers kind of on the left side of the end zone. Then Brendan's sitting back a little bit to the right if you're looking at the end zone. And Brendan. Lewis <laughs> rolls out to the left and kind of rolls past him, but is able to kind of throw the ball back into just like a great throw. And those are the things that you look at with Brendan and say, you know, that's if you were in the pocket, you couldn't have hit those guys on the side of the end zone, not without that ball probably being picked off. But why would you be in the pocket? Because you are so mobile. And look what it did. It moved this defense around, changed the angles of the defense. And all of a sudden this throwing lane is right there. And it's a throwing lane that you created, Brendan. There is a lot to like about the growth that we saw from him last season. And I think, I mean, maybe what made him look the smartest is just not turning the ball over, right? I think that there were more, he missed a lot of opportunities. But, you know, Drew Locke, Drew Locke, um, before he got his starts at the end of the season, one of the things that stood out to me was he said, uh, I realize now that I'm putting my stamp of approval on every ball that I throw. And, you know, it sounds like a little thing. It sounds like quarterback talk, whatever. But 
what that means is that there's no like, eh, I'm not sure, just throw this one over here. Like, ah, maybe, yeah, try it. No, if you don't throw that ball unless you like that ball and you say, this is where this ball is going, this ball is going to be high and away, whatever. And I think that that part of the game, Brendan Lewis absolutely has, is that I, I am signing off on this throw. This is a throw that I am saying this was a good decision. And every single time I need to make a good decision. Now, again, the processing can be a little bit slow at times, but he's, he's kind of building from the ground up. Like early on, if there was a very obvious th- pass to make, he made the pass. And then it got to like, it's a fairly obvious pass. And he was still missing out some of the ones where it's like, ooh, you, you, had, to, you had to look for that one. You had to manipulate somebody. And, and the truth is, he was given a lot of one-read plays. I think there were a lot of times where he was told, this is the receiver you're throwing to, throw it to him when he's open. And that receiver just never came open. And whether that's an indictment of Brendan or whether it's an indictment of the play caller, it's tough to say. Because I bet if Darren Cheverini was trying to defend himself, he'd say, yeah, it's, it's Brendan's fault that I had to call plays like that. And I think that Brendan probably looks at it and says, dude, you got to give me you got to give me a chance here. You got to you got to that's never that's never going to work like you're you're we will fail if that is our approach. And that's what happens. So it's going to be a battle and I'm fired up. I'm really fired up. I'm uh, I'm excited to get out there. I'm excited to talk about these guys. I hope the energy's high. I think that JT is going to be good for Brendan. I think Brendan's going to be good for JT too. I think that both those two guys have the competitive edge to them. And JT is absolutely a talker. You know, all day he's saying, "Yeah, I'm I'm the starter. Like, yeah, have fun on the bench, Brendan." But like that's in 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 good fun and that sort of stuff. But it's uh it's the vibe that you want to have, and. I think it becomes a battle. And and just even having the fact that like there could be a day where Maddox Cop just tears it up. Like Maddox Cop could go out there and complete every pass, hit a couple long ones, and be the best quarterback that day. And if that doesn't fire JT and Brendan up, then I don't know what will. You know, Owen McCown might be capable of that. Drew Carter's capable of that. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I guess you do kind of wonder about how these reps get split up, who gets the most time. What you don't want is just to see the young guys rot on the bench. But in practice, to be clear, we'll see. And like I said, we're next Wednesday is when it is. Next Wednesday, the thirtieth, is the first day of spring ball. I'll be I'll be up in Boulder for it. I'm not. I'm. I don't think that one's going to be open. I'm starting to think fewer of these are going to be open. But hopefully, you guys get to get up there at some point and see. Hopefully, I get to see instead of just here afterward. It's going to be a lot of fun and. uh We'll talk again tomorrow. We'll talk about again tomorrow. What position should we do? Guy get through the defensive line, safeties, cornerbacks. Cornerbacks is going to be fun. I don't know. We'll figure it out uh, and talk again tomorrow.